0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Bamk, and I am an enthusiastic. Oh, it's broke. I can sit down. No oh. one. <laughs> Boy, no pressure, Ruth. Good morning, everyone. My name is Bamk, and I am an enthusiastic, active, participating member. Active, participating member of the uh, Worldwide Fellowship of Al-Anon. Whoa. You know I was sitting here talking to my friend Jerry from Rapid City and I told her I said for the last couple of days I've tried to write down little, little notes to try to keep me on track and they sounded really good at the time I was doing it and then I'd go back and read them and go, what did I write that for? That was silly. My sponsor tells me that no matter what I write my higher power has the final say. So it looks like I'm going to turn this over to him and let him guide me in the way he would like me to go. I came into the program of Alan on March 24th of 1987 because I loved a drunk. I still love him. You know, I've heard people stand here and say they came into Al-Anon because of this or that or the other. I came into Al-Anon to find out how to make him love me sober. Because, see, I knew he loved me drunk because he needed me. He needed me for numerous reasons. But I was a good um, fighting partner. I think I heard Patty say last night... I wasn't physical, I was mouthy. I used a weapon called sarcasm. And in our literature it says that sarcasm is a Greek word which means to tear flesh. And I meant to tear as much flesh as I could with every word that came out of my mouth. And I did. I did, a, I did very well at that. I, um, I'm sorry, I I don't know the lady's name that opened this up, but uh, she said she didn't have the Al-Anon yell down yet. Before my surgery for throat cancer, I I had the pre-Al-Anon yell. (laughs) I'd like to think today through practice of the program, I don't have that. Not because I can't, but because it's not in me. Mine just went south. You know, um, I'm rambling in the beginning here because I need to get myself out of the way. The has guidelines for speakers, or has a guideline for a speaker, and in it it says, tell in a general way what I used to be like, what happened to me, and what I do today to keep healthy and happy, and to focus on what I do today. So that's what I'm going to try to do. I was born in New Orleans, Louisiana, in the early 40s. And if you ever go to anyone and you say, What do you know in New Orleans? First words out of their mouth is party. And it was. It was a party party place. Still is, I would imagine. Haven't been there for a long time. I would like to tell you that uh, I got sick and crazy because of my family, but I can't do that. I've heard people say they came from a dysfunctional family. I didn't. My family functioned very well. Crazier than a loon, but they functioned well. (laughs) My grandmother was the matriarch of the family, and she was word, the God. She, what she said, went My mother left my father shortly after running away and getting married and went home to her mother. And one of the stipulations was when they found out that my mother was pregnant was, you can come home, but I will raise this child and you will not have a say in it. (coughs) And for 13 years, that's how it went. My grandmother raised me. My mother was Marie. Marie. She was my mother, and I knew it, but she had no authority over me, and I knew that, too, and I used it. My mother and I never had a wonderfully close relationship, not on her doings necessarily, but on mine. See, I learned at a very early age to manipulate, to control, to get my way. And when my mother and my stepdad married, he was the light of my life. He was... If you ever saw a father and a daughter, that was he and I. He didn't move without me being glued to his hip bone. And she used to say, if it ever came down to where you had to choose between me and him, you would go with him. And I said, in a heartbeat. That fast. Needless to say, my sarcasm started at a very early age. I never could understand why she and I didn't get along. <laughs> my dad used to always tell me, "Damn, there is no excuse for getting drunk. Because, see, in New Orleans where we lived, there were two bars across the street, one bar on the next door and two bars on the opposite corners. And we would see people falling out of the bars as I was playing and growing up in the front yard. And he would always say, there's no excuse for getting drunk. You get to that point where you know you're feeling good and you quit. If you have one sip more, you're over the line. And I thought, that made sense. So when I married this wonderful man, i wanted him to do was have a few drinks go party have a good time get to that point and not take another sip i did it why couldn't he bill and i met each other at where we worked and uh, still manipulating and controlling situations i i was the first one to get on the the mine bus and he was the last one so i would get on and get in the smoking area sit down in a seat with my lunch my purse in the seat next to me and then pretend to be asleep no one sat next to me because no one wanted to wake me up we'd make the last turn going to pick up bill and miraculously i would wake up and stretch and Look out the window. If I saw this tall, good looking cowboy standing there at the bus stop, I had to find something in my purse, in my lunch bag. You know what? So I picked it up and put it in my lap. It was the only seat left on the bus in the smoking area, so guess where he sat? Never mind that he was married. Never mind that he had a family. I needed him. And I was out to get him. He came over to the house one night and um, had a few too many. He couldn't stand up. <clears throat> but he was going to drive back home. And I told him, I said, you don't have to do that. Um, you know, my husband at the time and I would be more than happy to take you home. I don't want you driving. And he said, nope, gonna drive. Can't leave my car. And I said, you can't even walk. He said, that's why I'm driving. <laughs> I said, okay. <clears throat> but if you get picked up, don't call me. Don't worry. <clears throat> Last one i call. So I was getting ready to leave the house and the phone rings and my oldest daughter runs out and she said, mama, it's the police. And I said, I'll kill him. He's mine. I'm going to kill him. So I got on the phone, and they said, do you know a Bill Clark? And I said, oh, yeah. He said, well, we had to arrest him. Would you like to come down and pick him up? I said, oh, yeah. And when I get there, I'm killing him. Uh, telling me what a perfect gentleman he was and he was the nicest drunk he had ever picked up and on and on and on and on I got to the jail and I'm a raven maniac and they're in the back fingerprinting him and I'm saying let him out let me get to him and Bill's going hi honey and I'm thinking you're dead so see I cannot stand up here and tell you that I didn't know Bill had a drinking problem before I married him because it's a lie did. But I also knew that if I was the right kind of wife and had him love me enough, he wouldn't need to get quite so drunk. That he could get drunk once in a while, just not every day. So we proceeded to live together for a while On the way to work one day, I made a smart crack and said, when are you going to make an honest woman of me? And he said, well, this is Thursday. How about Tuesday? I said, okay. So we proceeded to get married. I'm in the bedroom, because we got married in, the, in our home, and I'm in the bedroom getting ready, and a girlfriend came over, and she had a bottle of wine, and she said, Are you okay? And I said, no, I'm not leaving this room. Forget it. I'm not doing this one more time. I've done this before. And she said, no, it'll be okay. Here, have a little drink. Well, I finished the bottle. Now, I'm not going to tell you that I didn't drink because I did. I'm not going to tell you that I didn't get drunk because I did. I'm not going to tell you I'm an alcoholic because I'm not. And I'm not going to try to tell you that I understand alcoholics because I don't. But I am going to tell you about my disease, my craziness of thinking that I could drink, drink for drink for him. Let him see what it was like to be married to a drunk. Let him see what it was like to see me hugging the commode, making a fool of myself, being mouthier than usual. All these things I thought would show him because I knew he loved me and I knew that it would make him stop and take notice that maybe he was doing that. It didn't. Now I just got sick. We'd get up in the morning and Bill would say, you ne- I know what you need, honey. You need a little bit of the hair of the dog. And I see the people in the AA program going, yeah, I know that feeling the hair of the dog I would have shot that dog real fast if it would have come near me because the thought of it just made me ill because see I didn't have the addiction to the liquid Bill came home one day and um, said I need to talk to you I've been to the doctor And I'll let him tell his part of the story, but see, I was always one of these that if I knew what was going to happen, I could ward it off. I could could make it better. If I knew what was going to happen and I knew what you were going to say and I knew everything that was coming down the road, I could deal with this and I could make it better. So I said, why, what's the matter? Are you okay? And he looked at me and he said, if you will shut up one minute, I will tell you. And I thought, I don't care what's wrong with you, suck or die, I don't care. Be nasty to me when I'm trying to be helpful and loving and kind and all these things. Well, he proceeds to tell me that he's going into treatment. And I said, okay. He went into the hospital, in our local hospital there in Rock Springs, and then I took him down to Ogden for the treatment facility. See, a couple of years before this, an ex-sister-in-law had been telling me about the Al-Anon program. She said, Pam, you need to go. And I said, are you kidding? Somebody will find out that he drinks. (laughs) Then I'll go home and he'll beat the crap out of me because I told I'm not going to do this. And she'd say, but it's there, and it's a good program, and you need to go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, fine. When Bill went into treatment, that was the first thought in my mind. So I guess what I'm saying is never doubt where the seed is planted, because you never know when it's going to start to grow. And I called her up and I said, I need to go to Al-Anon. She said, you what? I said, I need to go to Al-Anon. She said, okay. So she came by and she picked me up and we went. Now, my reasonings for going to Al-Anon were not pure. They were not honest. not even sure they were reasons. I just went. Because, see, I needed them to tell me how to make this man That was my life, loved me when he wasn't drunk. Because I'd never known him sober. I knew what to do when he was drunk. I'd look out the window when he drove up. And if he got out of the truck and he kind of staggered a little bit, kids, go to your room, stay there until I tell you to get out, he's drunk again. Kids would take off running. He'd walk in the door in instant cold. And I never understood why he came in and in a bad mood. I'd come in a bad mood if I came into a cold house, too. had an Alan on. member once say to me that they had little poodles, which those of you that know me know that we have a poodle as well. And, and the poodles would run to the door and they'd meet her husband and they'd be jumping up and down and so excited to see him. and. He'd walk in the door, lay his lunch pail down, sit on the floor and love these dogs and play with these dogs. And she said, Why can't you treat me that way? And he said, Why would I want to? They're happy to see me. You're not. And I thought, yeah, that's what I'm doing. I was not happy to see him. Although I must admit from 4.30 until he drove into the driveway, I was pacing, I was wondering, I was planning, I was doing all of the things that we hear stories about from speakers that say they planned the funeral. I planned spending the insurance money. I had it all laid out. I had three kids. I was going to take that money, pay off the house. We would be just fine. But God help me if he was late. If he was late, I was on the phone, calling the guard shack. Did he check out yet? And my girlfriend at the guard shack would say, Yeah, Pam, he did. Is he not home yet? And say, No. She'd say, Well, he'll be there shortly. He had so-and-so with him. I'd go, Oh, okay. Or she'd say, No, Pam, he's still on the job site. I'd go, All right. I often wonder what she must have thought that I was thinking. I guess it doesn't matter, but crazy. Anyway, when Bill finally was able to give me a call from the uh, facility, he said, they say you need to go to Al-Anon. He said, already doing it. He said, you are? I said, yep. How would you know about Al-Anon? I said, oh, I've known about it for a couple of years. Oh, well, good. You got to go. I said, okay the first meeting I went into I asked them what to do what was he going to be like coming home drunk or sober after being drunk for so long and their Al-Anon's famous reply I've heard in many meetings is I'll keep coming back I don't want to come back here I just want you to tell me but the love and the understanding that I received in that meeting kept me coming back. The fear of not knowing what to do with a man that was sober kept me coming back. See, fear has been my motivator for good and bad from all my life. Bill and I have a, a kind of a standing joke that I say is that If he really wants me to attempt something, he'll get me angry. Because if he gets me angry, I can do almost anything. But it's not anger, it's fear. And I've come to realize that since I've been in the program of Al-Anon. I uh, was told to read the literature many times by a very dear lady, and I've shared sense with her that if she'd have told me to read the literature one more time, I was going to punch her in the mouth, because that was her only response to me was, read the literature, keep coming back, and I thought, one more time, and she's going to get it. I don't need this. Just tell me what I need to know, and I'll get out of here and leave you alone. Sound familiar, Patty? They never did, thank God. They never left me alone. Shortly after coming into the program of Al-Anon, I, Bill got home and it was supposed to be a 21-day program. It was 42 and a half days later. <laughs> Some people are harder to learn than others, I guess so. But see, in my mind, I'm thinking, he really doesn't want to come home. He really doesn't. Why does he want to come home to me? I'm, I'm a memory of the bad days. He did not want me. But on the weekends, see, we could take goodies down to our family members. And they love to see me coming because I love to cook. And the first time I went down, I bought boot box, you know, or excuse me, shoe box full of fudge and candies it was so heavy i almost couldn't carry it into the dadgum center and i thought that'll make him want to come home see what he's missing all of this see what i do for him and the next time i'm sitting out in the parking lot and i'm putting whipped cream on strawberry pies Well, my mother grandmother always told me the way to a man's heart was through his stomach. I was trying. I didn't uh. The insanity that I was living in started long before this man came into my life. It was real easy for me to blame him. It was real easy for me to say I'm here because he drinks I'm here because he's in treatment. Today I tell you I'm here because I'm crazy. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way toward me, but I'm sick. And when I'm away from these rooms and I'm away from these meetings and I'm away from people, like my friend Sherry from Rapid City, my sweet friend Ruth from Casper, Jeannie, and a lot of other people, I get crazier. When I'm asked to do something like this, and I think, no, you don't understand. See, I had throat cancer surgery, and I can't talk like everybody else. So I'm not supposed to be doing this. Thank God my higher power never listened to me. He said, want to bed? You need to grow, lady, so you're going to do these things. I was um, introduced. That's a nice word. Service. I was Alamon Railroaded, is what it was. (laughs) Um, Sitting in Rock Springs at a conference, there were a lot of the members of of my district sitting there, and we needed someone to fill in the position of public information or or PI coordinator, as they called it. And I'm thinking, private investigating? I wasn't any good at that when I was married to him and he was drunk and I looked around and I said what's that and the gal sitting next to me who used to who was a delegate Mary S said to me oh you'd be good at it oh really think I could do that huh she said yes you'd be good at it and I said gee alright what do I do the lady that is now my sponsor was sitting in front of me and she said, oh, don't worry, honey, we'll help you. <laughs> okay. Margaret Mc- McHenry from uh, Cheyenne was, was the uh, chair at that time, I believe, and she said, oh, Pam, you're volunteering? And I wasn't smart enough to say no. I said, yeah. I guess. Sound familiar, Sherry. that started service. I must admit that when I agreed, they all disappeared. So I came to realize that I didn't know anything about PI, public information or private investigating, (laughs) until they were, I was long out of that position. And then it was like, wait, I need to do this again. See, I know how to do this now. But see, the Al-Anon program says that's when you get the heck out of there before you screw it up. So I was PI coordinator for about a year. We had a, um, an election in Cheyenne, and I could barely speak above a whisper. And there was a speaker there from California, an Al-Anon speaker named Bob LaHan. Some of you may know him. And Bob and I happened to be sitting at the same table. And he leaned over to me and he said, Pam, what position are you letting your name stand for? And I said, none. He said, why not? I said, I can't even talk. They want me to get up there in front of the room and tell them a little bit about me. I can't talk. He said, would you do me a favor? And I said, sure. And he said, will you show me where it says you have to be able to talk? He said, I can't. And he said, exactly. I said, but I'm terrified. He said, now we're getting to it. He said, Pam, fear is God's way of telling you that you've got some more growing to do, lady. And I said, boy, you must think I need to grow a lot. But I walked up to the front of that room and Everybody was saying, you know, speak up, speak up to everybody else. And I got up and I said, folks, this is it. It doesn't get any louder than this. Sorry about that. But I'm willing to let my name stand for area treasurer. I don't know a darn thing about it, but I'm willing. Thank you very much. And I went and I said, now, be darned if they didn't elect me in as treasurer. was in October. In November, I was in the hospital having a radical mm-hmm. larynctomy where they removed my voice box. If it had not have been for the position that I held of service for the Al-Anon program, I'd given in. If it hadn't have been for the members of my, my group, coming by and saying we love you, I'd have given in. I'd have said, okay, God, I screwed up again, and you're showing me that this is not for me to do, so I won't do it. (coughs) But that's not what happened. When I was able to start talking again, and I haven't shut up since, I might add, I started getting phone calls from people in the area saying, Pam, how do you feel? Okay. Well, good, I need a reimbursement check for such and such an amount. <laughs> I said, so? I said, you're the treasurer, and I went, oh, yeah, that's right, I am, aren't I? So I did that for three years. You know When you give yourself to service in this fellowship, as I'm sure it is in the AA Fellowship, you get hooked, and you get hooked good. I let my name stand for alternate delegate and had the opportunity to travel around to delegates' meetings with Robert, who was the delegate at that time. That's where I met Sherry. I um, tell you a little joke. Robert's not here, so I'm okay. <laughs> Robert doesn't get a copy of this, okay, Dave? We went to a, uh, my very first delegates' meeting was in Omaha. And um, as I told you, I was born in the early 40s, so I'm not a child anymore. I'm childlike, but I'm not a child. And I'm considerably older than Robert. However, Robert was my daddy for that weekend. I hung on to him like I was scared to death. We went to Omaha, and um, I said, Don't go anywhere without me. And he said, I won't. I said, Okay, I'm hanging on to your belt loop on your pants, so don't go anywhere. He said, Okay. We walked into the Omaha, into the room, they said, go find your name tag and sit down. And I said, uh-uh, I have to sit by him. And they said, no dear, they were doing this like they do at the conference. I said, I don't care, I'm not going. I need to be with him. I said, no, just, it's all right. You're loved in this room. And I thought, "Yeah, right. Oh, these people from Adam. So I went and I sat down And Robert sat across the room, at the far end, of course, and he'd look around and he'd smile at me every now and then. I thought, I'm leaving. I'm going to my room. I'll stay there all weekend. He can come get me Sunday we'll leave. But as God would have it, I sat next to a very dear lady, a delegate from Montana at the time. And she welcomed me with such love. And such friendship, like we would known each other all our lives. And you know what? I've come to realize that that's the way the program works. I am accepted, warts and all. I can make the biggest fool of myself, and someone may tell me, Pam, that's uncalled for. Usually my sponsor, but sometimes other people. But as Siri and I were sharing... I can get finished here and sit down and none of you are going to beat me up. I hope. <laughs> I am serving at this time as delegate from Wyoming to the al Conference. I'm a little emotional when I start to talk about this. And Chuck, I'll try to curb my enthusiasm just a little bit. He made the mistake last weekend of asking me how the conference was, and I don't think I shut up for an hour and a half. The conference for me was the most wonderful experience. And I've got two more years. Jeez, it can only get better. We, um, we, meaning Bill and I, went to Stanford, Connecticut, First time I had ever been in New York, and I must tell you I had some preconceived ideas of New York, and God made sure that that didn't manifest itself to me at the airport, and I'm very grateful. But uh, we got into this little shuttle car, and everyone had told me, Pam, take some personals in a carry-on bag because your luggage always gets lost. And I thought, okay. So I brought all my conference stuff and personal things. And, God, I could hardly carry the thing on the plane. But all my luggage got there with me. It was waiting for me in the carousel when I got there. We got on the shuttle bus, and I've shared with a couple of people, I will never complain about Salt Lake City drivers again. I, I never, God. The shuttle driver drove in two lanes. The only reason I can figure he drove in two lanes was because if he needed to change lanes, the guys behind him weren't sure what he was doing, so they backed off. Third-year delegate in the shuttle car with us, or van, and we talked Alan on all the way to the conference. We got there, and I was rather nervous. I don't know why, but I was rather nervous. And I saw people that I knew from going to these delegates' functions and going to functions like this. And it was like, it's okay. You know, I know know I'm where I'm supposed to be. It's okay. I don't have to have all the answers. I about drove my board sponsor crazy for several months before I went to the conference. And she would say to me, Pam, you're only one vote, sweetheart. You don't have to carry the weight of the conference on your shoulders. But see, I need to have all the answers, so just in case they ask the question. And she said, no, even if they do ask the question, you're just one vote. And I thought, okay. And again, God set me in front of two trustees and my conference sponsor, and the delegate from South Dakota was right in front of me, he was a friend. And whenever things would happen, I would turn to the trustees behind me and I'd look at Howdy and I'd say, can they do that? And he'd say, they can if you let them. And I'd say, what does that mean? And he'd say, you don't like it? Vote against it. And I went, oh, it's that simple, huh? And he said, yeah, Pam, we cannot do anything unless we agree and i said oh i understand there is no they it's a we." he said exactly i said okay and i relaxed i watched the program in action the process of service in action it was wonderful we got the opportunity to go to stepping stones your first night out as a delegate, they have an orientation meeting. Not that any of us needed it. I mean, we were, we were all together. Sure, we were. If anybody ever watched kids, first grade kids going to school the first time, trying to put their papers together, we looked worse than that. We were sitting on the floor with these notebooks, papers scattered all over the place, going, "What did they say? Where, where did they put that?" You know. And we we laughed. It was so much fun. We had uh, four representatives from other countries that were there. England, France, Mexico. England, France, Mexico. And Italy. Oh, Little Miss Italy. And they were in there with us, and they were so cute. When we went to Stepping Stones the next day, we took a bus, tour buses, in... They took care of us. They told us to write our bus number on the inside of our badge. Well, kids have to be taught. I mean, they were taking good care of us. So we wrote our number on the inside of our badge so we knew which bus to get on. So we didn't get lost. We got on the bus. We went to Stepping Stones. For those of you that may not know, Stepping Stones is the home of Lois and Bill Wilson. It is now a foundation, and it's full of memorabilia. I got one of the the tour guides or the foundation workers there, and that was an Almanon member and a very dear friend of Lois's, and I said, when did you bring all of this stuff in? She said, what do you mean? And I said, she couldn't have lived this way. It's too cluttered. There wasn't a spot anywhere that didn't have something, some memento. She said, oh, yes, dear, this is just how she left it. One of the delegates from Tennessee, the delegate, and I keep saying one of, the delegate from Tennessee was told by another delegate to go upstairs on the second floor and look in a basket that was in a little cutaway area. And Lynn and I went upstairs, and and Lynn looked at this basket, and it was full of Christmas cards. The Christmas card on the very top was from Lynn to Lois, that she had sent in early 80s. We both bawled. We went up to uh, Wits End, which is where Bill did his studying and writing and things, and Sitting there in that room, and I'm thinking how grateful I am for the AA program. Because, see, without the AA program, there wouldn't have been an Al Anon program. There were a lot of families of alcoholics, but it wasn't the Al Anon program as we have it today. And we have it because of AA. And for that, I will be extremely grateful the rest of my life. I'm often accused of wanting to have fun. How dare they? That's why I married a drunk, because I didn't have the nerve to do it on my own, so I figured I'd hang on. But I was talking to Sherry on the phone here a while back, and I told her, I said, I need you to sit in the front row. Oh, I was in Gillette. And I said, make faces at me. She said, I can't do that. And a mutual friend of ours from Gillette said, Yeah, you can. Sit up there and make faces at her. We were talking about it this morning. She said, I'll sit in the front rope and I'm not making faces. So, Sherry? <laughs> Lois used to greet people when they came to the house. If they came looking for Bill, she would say, Oh, he's in the spook room. And I thought, spook room. Was he into that stuff? What are they talking about? And it's a room where he has all of his violins and his cello and everything. And that's where he went to have his spiritual moments. And I thought, gee, she had a sense of humor. Gosh, I like that. I like that she could see the fun in life today. I'm glad that I can see the fun, the fun in my life today. It's not always been so. It used to be a phony fun. It used to be a phony laugh. It used to be a phony hug. It used to be a phony, oh gee, I'm so happy to see you. When the heck are they going home? Today I can tell you I love you. And today I can tell you you're all welcome in my home not at the same time, though. It's not that big of a house. But I can laugh. I can laugh with you, and I can laugh with myself. When we had our uh, area highlights, sharing meeting at the conference, it's when all the delegates get together beginning the conference, and they share the goods and the bads of their areas, questions and things like that. And it didn't get started until quite late because our orientation was quite late. And there were still quite a few states to go and they took a vote and they were doing alphabetical, so I knew Wyoming was at the back of the line, so I'm thinking, oh, we can stop right now, that's fine. We can go to bed, I'm tired. But that's not what God had in mind. So I got to go to the mic and I got to share a little bit about Wyoming. And I had a piece of paper in my hand because I'd written it down. Because that's going to be very professional and very together. And I'm standing there and I drop the paper. And I said, okay, God, I get the message. Every time I have tried to write something down so that I can share with you so that I've got everything in in order and in control and in sequence, I either lose it or I drop it or whatever, or I run into the mic. And as I've told people, you know, when you stand here and you share, you share your experience, strength, and hope. It doesn't have to be someone else's. It doesn't have to be better than or less than. It just has to be yours. And you know, they often I've often heard that God puts words in my mouth that I need to hear. And he has for a long time. He has when I've worked the steps with other people. He has when I've worked the traditions with other people. And when I say work them, I don't mean work them as, as a daily task, but put them to work. He lets me hear what I need to hear from me. He puts people in my life that I need for me. Why you're in my life today, I don't know doesn't matter what matters is that you're here and I'm here and I love you thanks Michelle Patty said last night that her sponsor used to say it's none of your business but not but now, what you had said or was it Wanda that said that I'm not sure which And I've come to realize that there are a lot of things in this world that are none of my business. And in the beginning, I used to take offense to it because, see, I thought everything was my business. If it had to do with you, it was my business because I cared for you. If it had to do with you, it was my business because I didn't like you and I needed more ammunition. I heard it said that it doesn't matter if you like me. What matters is that I like you. It doesn't matter if you accept me. What matters is that I accept you. And I have to tell you that today, I not only like you all, but I love you in a very, very special way. And I want to thank the committee now that it's over. For asking me to speak. I haven't always felt thankful. But I am now. I love you. Have a good day. And I'll see you real soon. Thanks.